This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, it's Addictive Eaters Anonymous On Air. Welcome to Addictive Eaters Anonymous on Air, here on Plains FM. My name's Louise and I'm an addictive eater and the host of this show. This is an opportunity to share with you about how Addictive Eaters Anonymous works and to talk with an addictive eater who will share their experience of recovery from addictive eating. Well, how does AEA work? Sobriety in AEA is freedom from addictive eating and or mind-altering substances. AEA members achieve sobriety by sharing their experience, strength and hope with each other and living the 12-step program of recovery as a way of life by regular attendance at meetings, getting a sponsor, working the steps, keeping in contact with sober members and carrying the message of recovery. Members are freed from addictive eating and the obsession with food. At the heart of the AEA program is the spiritual concept of surrender. Hello, uh, my name's Tony. I'm a member of Addictive Eaters Anonymous. And today I'm in the studio uh, interviewing Louise, our regular host. So welcome to the other side of the microphone, Louise. Thank you, Tony. Yes, quite unusual to be in this position, but good. Well, you've done a great job uh, hosting these shows, so we thought it was time that uh, you told your own story. and. <laughs> Maybe if you could just start by telling us a bit of uh, your early obsession with food and, and how that manifested. Absolutely. Yes, uh, definitely I thought of myself as different to everyone else. I, I felt like a, a fish out of water. Even in my own family, I, I somehow felt disconnected from people around me and felt that very much I just sort of existed in my own little bubble and spent a lot of time sort of in my bedroom uh, kind of playing with dolls uh, and and living in a sort of a fantasy type world. The absolute joy of my life seemed to be food, very much feeling like I was a bit hard done by in the food department when mum dished up the meals it didn't feel like it was enough. Uh, so I was always on the search for more food and the minute mum was out of the house, be in the cupboard, eating the dried spaghetti noodles, making icing with sort of butter and icing, sugar and cocoa, eating all of that, opening tins of condensed milk, drinking the aspirin, uh, the health salts, anything, anything would do, anything would do. And of course, stealing the baking out of the tins and rearranging the baking and wondering how mum would not grasp the fact that somehow three or four pieces of cake had gone missing. Yes, always in the fridge, sort of pulling things out of drawers and nibbling and and sort of trying to hide the evidence. Yeah, so yes, just that 
never having enough was very, very large in my life. Never having enough, never feeling satisfied, never feeling content with around the food, always feeling like I'd missed out, there wasn't enough, I was, you know, it wasn't fair, I needed more. Many of us in AEA talk about uh, the disease of addiction being more than just the food. Can you maybe sort of talk about how how it affected you and your general life? Absolutely. I mean, I think definitely, again, you know, going back to that disconnectedness was that inability to sort of be part of life. And when I had friends in school, and I used to have one friend, and that one friend I would sort of cling on to, but you know, that that friend would be, I, I sort of used that person because, uh, you know, I needed to sort of have somebody to play with, but I, I don't know that I ever cared about them in particular or were interested in them or wondered what their life was about. No, it was all very much about me, incredibly self-centred, yeah, really unable to in any way kind of look outside of myself or, or look from any other perspective. It was this very one-dimensional life. And of course, I wondered as I went through those school years, you know, why I never seemed to make friends and why wasn't I popular and why didn't everyone think I was amazing? And again, more self-pity. It wasn't fear. It wasn't fear. But not really seeing that I just completely had no ability to connect with anyone was just completely obsessed with myself and my inner life and my outer life but there was a lot of thinking going on. How did the uh, disease progress as you got older and say left school and went to work? When I left home which was quite young I think I was 17 when I lived with my first boyfriend and I sort of had no more restrictions of mum and dad I, I moved to a different city I had a job in a bank actually and I started really overeating, cooking a lot of, or baking a lot of cake and making a lot of sweets and sort of huge fatty lasagnas and of course as a consequence getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I reached really my peak weight and I became very, very obsessed with how fat I was and I'd go to bed at night and I'd cry and I'd look down at my fat thighs and I'd slap my fat thighs and then I'd give myself a couple of slaps across the face for good measure because how could I have been such a weak person and cry and have a conversation with some sort of higher power, God, please help me tomorrow, I'm going to live on salad sandwiches, fruit and drink water, I'm going to lose all this weight, my life's going to be wonderful. But of course that never happened, so in the end I started vomiting as a way of managing this Weight because I could not bear being overweight. I could not look at myself in a shop window and see the fatness of me. It was too much. I couldn't bear it. And so vomiting seemed like a solution. And initially it seemed like a good solution. I could eat. I could have my cake and eat it too. I thought I could eat. I could get rid of it. Nobody was any the wiser. But of course it became obvious after the vomiting that an emotional spiralling would happen and I would become more and more unhappy and depressed. 
I, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, started having boyfriends and trying to work, and I just was miserable all of the time, and just, you know, didn't know why. Didn't relate it to the food. Mm-hmm. Did you sort of move around a lot in in your addiction? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I thought if I went somewhere else, I could reinvent myself and be that popular, connected amazing woman that I always felt I should have been and so absolutely moving from city to city, country to country, job to job, all these crazy ideas of I just could do this, everything would be fine. You know, at one point I had this great idea that if I went to prison, this is while I was in London, if I went to prison, spent a year in prison, I'd have this great story. I could then come back and write a book about it and be really famous. And, you know, just, I was just completely nutty. And there was no other thinking apart from my nutty thinking because I didn't run any ideas past anybody. I really never referred back to my parents after I left home at 17 for their advice. So what I thought, I did, because it seemed like, why not? So absolutely, I was all over the show, geographically and in every other way. One of the things that's always impressed me about your story, Louise, is that you uh, were someone that was looking for a, a spiritual solution. You were always looking for something to you know, fix the problem. Can you talk a bit about your your sort of uh, journey in that area? Absolutely. Yes, yes, I had, while I was in London, I think the isolation was magnified by the fact that I was living in this enormous city and I was uh, living in a flat of seven women, um, travelling, you know, travellers, and had no friends and no one to talk to and, and had this admin job that I went off to each day and came back, didn't really talk to anyone at work and so there was nobody in my life and the the sense of isolation was massive and so I'd always sort of been brought up a Catholic, I'd always had a bit of a feeling for God um, but the sense of isolation led me on a bit of a journey of self-discovery in that I went to a therapist because I thought perhaps she could fix my isolation issues and she introduced me to a spiritual teacher who was talking about God within and about the sort of purpose of life being to realise God within and to to live that, to live what this spiritual master called a divine life where you know it was possible to live in the moment, to, to be the joy in the wonder of the moment to be that big, you know, to live in the awareness of God and to sort of see that that was my true nature and that this this person that I was, this self, Louise, and all of those problems and issues, that they were just, in a way, grist for the mill and, and something to just help my spiritual nature emerge more and so it sort of put all of that misery and loneliness and sadness into like a different light I suddenly saw oh I've actually got a purpose to realize this divinity within so it made everything better but unfortunately because I was still in the food and what I realize now is that that addiction got between me and my ability to connect with my higher power Although I could realise all of that on a sort of an intellectual level and have a bit of sporadic contact with some awareness deep within via 
heavy meditation sessions, there was no way that it was sustainable or able to be lived and, and I'd just be back in the problem and the eternal thinking about how miserable I was. And so it was never really working for me. And by the time I came into the fellowship, I had sort of given up on spirituality. I just thought, I can I can talk the talk, but I can't walk the walk. I just I just couldn't do it. I was disappointed, but I couldn't do it. So I came in and, you know, that was... You know, my eating and vomiting had gotten to fever pitch and I had a child and a partner and I was trying to work in a job and and trying to appear to be a normal person and I'd be still binging and vomiting but trying to keep it all very secret and at one point I'd be going out after my meal into the garden and on my hands and knees under one of the bushes in the garden vomiting and then getting up and looking through the window and there's my my partner and my child and and here's me, this crazy woman just vomited all my meal in the garden having to walk back inside and pretend that everything's normal and live a normal life and the, the tension of that was just horrible. And so of course coming into the fellowship was the beginning of a new spiritual connectedness because by the grace of God my eating had reached an end point and God was able to do for me what I couldn't do for myself which was to stop me eating and and therefore that connection that I'd been longing for was re-established. So when you found the fellowship of AEA uh, Louise uh, how long did it take you to surrender if you like to to the program? I feel like Unusually, from what I hear from other people, I I almost seemed to be reasonably beaten by the time I got there. The years of vomiting and binging and misery and secrecy and isolation had gotten to such a point I was actually really couldn't go on and was very ready to give it away, although I didn't know that, but but I sort of couldn't do it anymore. And so quite quickly, quite quickly things happened for me and I didn't need to eat like I had been eating. But I was a little messy at first because I've always been an incredibly undisciplined person and still am to some extent. And so, you know, I was given a weighed and measured food plan, but I sort of thought, oh, well, perhaps this measurement suited me better to cut my tomato into so many slices seemed to me tidier than to put it into a cup and measure it in a cup and so a lot of untidy sort of eating but never really never really wanting to go back to the to eating although of course there was times I felt like yes it would be nice to have a big binge or something very much from the early days, I knew that the choice was very clear, the food or God. And I guess luckily for me, I was so into God, that was enough to keep me highly, highly aware that the food, I didn't want the food. And so that was helpful in those early days when there is still some craving and, and some desire for the food. So that was very helpful. So how much has working the 12 steps of AEA 
and made changes in your life and what's life like now? Yeah, well, of course, the 12 steps ended up being the spiritual principles, really, that had been in that earlier spiritual program or, or that I'd read in books about Buddhism or, or um, you know, lots of other religions. That it, it's, it had all those sort of core principles, the, the surrender of self, the service to others, the carrying the message. So, yes, I saw those steps on the wall and immediately, I mean, I could see some of them were going to be challenging, but I immediately had that real sense of how, excuse, excuse me, <laughs> excuse my tearfulness, of how right they were and in the spiritual sense how much I needed those very things it was advocating, I, I needed them very much in my life. And so it was such a joy to have a sponsor, my goodness, a person who would guide me through these steps. And I took the actions, I looked at my life, I, I surveyed my life, I, I saw where I had been the problem. It wasn't everyone else, it, actually the problem was in me. You know, I took responsibility. I then could hand that over to God. There was making the amends. Then there's the living the program day to day, the looking to see where I could be useful, the being honest, the being kind, the being loving. Yeah, it was all that spirituality I loved in a little action package of 12 steps. And so... The program just has worked together so beautifully. So for me, that has meant instead of a disordered life, a, a life where crazy thinking and crazy acting led me here, there and everywhere, it has become an orderly life. And that sort of sounds a bit boring, but in no way is it boring because within the discipline and the order and the learning how to live well and the learning how to be more well and the connecting more um, with the people around me has come that that peace and that sense of purpose that I was always looking for. So, yeah, it's just been such a huge, huge gift. And that gift was only possible because somehow deep inside I must have admitted to my innermost self that I am powerless over food and my life is unmanageable by me and that which seemed like an admission of the worst possible hopelessness was in fact the beginning of the new life. Who was to know that? Louise, if there's someone out there listening to your story today who may think they have a problem with addictive eating, what would you suggest they do? Yeah, definitely for me it was about being open to another way. I thought I knew what life was about and what the solutions were. And to me, an AEA is a very surprising and beautiful solution for, for people who have tried to stop or know that the eating isn't right, that the eating is impacting on their life. There is a solution, and it's it's actually a wonderful solution. It's not a hard solution. So to just come to a meeting 
either a face-to-face meeting or these days we have these wonderful online meetings to come to a meeting to listen to people to relate to see uh, could this possibly be a solution that would work in their life that that's all that's needed just that little openness to this possibility of an incredible God-centered solution Thanks very much, Louise, for your story today. And uh, thanks very much for all the hosting you've done in this series on Addictive Eaters Anonymous. Nice to have you in the studio. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tony. It's been a pleasure. If you have heard anything today which you've related to or would like to know more about us, please go to our website, www.aeanz.org. There are three meetings a week in Christchurch, as well as a monthly worldwide meeting on Zoom. A podcast of our show will be available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as the Plains FM website, plainsfm.org.nz. Our show goes out on the fourth Monday of each month at midday. Thank you for listening, and I trust you go well. Until we catch up next month on Addictive Eaters Anonymous on air... Plains FM 96.9